You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy. I want to dedicate this fight to little baby Lee, little warrior. Like, more of a fighter than any of us will ever be. But also, I woke up on Friday morning at 4 a.m. to a message that one of my friends back home had killed himself. This was uh, five hours before me weighing. So, Ricky, lad, that's for you. But there's a stigma in this world that men can't talk. Listen, if you're a man and you've got weight on your shoulders and you think the only way you can solve this is by killing yourself, please speak to someone. Speak to anyone. People would rather, I know I'd rather me make cry on my shoulder than go to his funeral next week. So please, let's get rid of this stigma and men start talking. Welcome to another episode of Friends Talking Nerdy. This is Tim Jowsma coming at you with a negative COVID test this week, thank goodness. And joining me all the way in Portland, Maine, we have here Holiness, the Reverend Tracy. How are you doing, this person who got up on time, unlike me? Oh, I mean, I didn't even get up on time. I'm actually taking this week as a little bit of a really chill self-care week. Um, these first two mornings, I knew for a fact I wasn't going to have to get up early. So I have just given myself permission to be lazy, which is something very freeing you can do as somebody who likes to be a highly productive person. It can be really nice just to give yourself permission to be really fucking lazy for a few days. But, you know, in the background, I'm also doing like some panda planner stuff and trying to figure out where to kind of focus some of my energy. Like, I just kind of realized I am so a little bit of everywhere and it's because I haven't figured out where to focus like certain creative shit. So trying to like take a minute and unplug, so to speak. But uh, while unplugging, I also tend to use times where the Mr. Reverend is away to um, catch up on some shows that the Reverend's brother recommends. So Chris, he's been on the show whenever we talked about doing the models um, he had recommended a while back, something called Dead End Paranormal Park. Now, if you are a Gravity Falls fan or a Hilda fan, super highly recommend. It is in the kids section of uh, Netflix, which is really funny. It's really pissing off some conservative folks (laughs) that uh, are now demanding that Netflix put some certain flags for content warning because of this show, because this show features a protagonist who is openly talks openly about being trans. Like that to be said, it's not, really that the show is about a trans kid. I mean, that's the leading character, but that's not the same thing as being about something, right? Like, a show can feature a family that's going through a divorce, but not necessarily be about going through a divorce, if that makes sense. Like, it's something that can play out in the background. And that's very much what this is, and this is this teenage 
boy. Um, he's a him, as far as I understand. I love that they actually don't go into a lot of the background of it, because again, it's not the point. The point is this really awesome, spooky, haunted paranormal park, and that's where Gravity Falls fans, I think, would really love it. Um, but yeah, he talks about kind of normal stuff with a teenager being accepted by their family, you know, being able to feel comfortable being themselves and expressing that when they when they feel comfortable doing that. And so those are things that do get mentioned, but it is not like the actual focus of the, of the story. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler alert. There is something that plays out in the background that he's kind of dealing with this fact that his grandmother apparently said some really awful things and his parents who say they have his back with all of this did not stand up to him. But I mean, that's something that if you washed away the LGBTQ, if you took the fact that it was about him being trans and instead made it about him just being gay or made it about him, let's say he's straight, but is in an interracial relationship, like we would see it would be clear that this is something that's been covered before, right? Mm -hmm. The fact that sometimes we're going to make choices that other, especially older generations in our family might not know how to accept or be prepared to. So for me to see all of these articles about Dead End Paranormal Park, like conservatives demanding that there be flags for, quote, disturbing LGBTQ content, it's like, you know, if you took out disturbing LGBTQ and put disturbing interracial content, it would be so much more clear how backwards this is that you're asking. Because, again, it, it's not about him being transsexual. That is just something that is playing out as a stressor in the background of his family life. So that being said, I completely binged the first season. I think it's absolutely amazing. If you want to give like some, you know, pride following, give it the views because that's how it's going to get renewed. So if you want to see a good great example of just normalizing it, right? That's something that I've said that I'm very pro is is normalizing like transgender, some of the LGBTQ and queer conversation. We don't have to necessarily instruct about it. We can just normalize it by having characters like Barney in Dead End Paranormal Park. So there's one season out. Go give it a watch. It could use some support on Netflix if you have that. Yeah, you don't, I mean, it's it's wacky, those conservative folks. I mean, they'll be the first ones to, uh, you know, quote unquote, own the libs and try and say and do things to get reactions out of people. But then they're always the first ones to publicly complain if there's entertainment that doesn't go the way they like. Now, if we were talking about like where a, a, a piece of entertainment was like super hardcore just for adults, but they didn't advertise that fact and had like hardcore nudity, extreme violence, but then tried to pass it off as a kid's show, that would be one thing. But, you know, we're not dealing with that here, of course. We're talking with, uh, you know, it sounds like a, I mean, I haven't seen it, so I can't say whether it's good or not myself. But, you know, we're talking just an average show with average people dealing with stuff that people deal with in life that, you know, just certain people in this country would rather put their head in a sandwich. Exactly. While also dealing with a phantom that haunts the theme park and a demon that's trapped there. And then you get the introduction that there's angels that are going to get involved. So like, it's a very good, it's dark fantasy. So it is on that darker end of things. Um, for those that really just take an extra measure of glee when somebody pulls off a good musical episode, they did that too in the first season. So Big, big fan. I actually might rewatch it just to give it more support. So 
just that last little pitch, if you're looking for those ways to support normalizing the queer community, oh, please go give it a watch, even if you only watch it one time. And if you love it, suggest it to your friends, too. Indeed, indeed. Now, me, I've uh, been recovering from the COVID myself. And, and like I mentioned, I have a negative test now. So even though it's still phlegmy, hopefully I, I, I'm not as phlegmy as I was last week, people, because um, listening to last week's episode was kind of funny just hearing me go, you know, snorting uh, throughout. But um, I did hear some interesting pop culture news, which is a bit of a follow up to uh, something I talked about on one of my solo episodes. You have something to say? Well, really quick question. Did you ever test positive? Like, did you get the positive test too, or did you just make sure that it wasn't? I just made sure it was negative. I didn't have test last week. I didn't get some tests until just yesterday. So, um, you know, to be 100% clear, it is very much possible I could have had just the flu. Gotcha. I mean, I just, it's totally not even that important. These are just the curious type of questions that I've learned. I don't have to have a filter on this show as much because I was told I'm allowed to be insanely curious about anything I feel like. (laughs) So anywho, yeah, I was just curious because I didn't know if you had actually confirmed if it was or not. But yeah, like that being said, don't be afraid to confirm it. Go ahead and get tests. I think we have like four now because every time I get that email, um, fun fact, if you sign up for like the USPS.com, like if you get a little login or whatever for your informed delivery, it uh-huh. gives you little notices like that. So I'd actually gotten an email saying, hey, you can get more tests through the government, through USPS. And then we, that's where we keep getting ours. Um, it's kind of funny because I think we have like three different brands of tests. So it's obviously wherever they're getting them from at the time. But last I checked, there's still those programs going on with getting tests. So... Oh yeah, and if yeah, I mean if it's silly to not get your hands on some of those free tests. I mean, because I mean, if you get sick with COVID, you're still going to have to show that you know that you're you're over it, and you know having you know that test is going to help you uh, get your freedom again, so you're not yeah. stuck in your house. You know. I mean, what's kind of nice is it goes back to. I hope the one thing that gets kept with all of this is like if you're snotty, just can we can we adopt wearing masks and keep our snot to ourselves? Like if it's allergies. If it's a cold, like, have we learned that we're gross and we carry germs and those germs just spread more if you're snotting? So I I love that my step kiddo, my oldest of my two, has like, you know, they had allergies and, you know, they were wearing their mask. And of course, they're also more in Oregon where I think there's still more mask wearing. It goes back to our population density is so much lighter here that -hmm. we can stay apart. So you have less mask wearing, but less spread. And so, like, I was, like, asking them about it, and they were like, oh, you know, I'm just, I've got some allergies, and I just don't want to get my snot everywhere. I'm like, yes, like, let, let that be the thing that we keep. Can we keep that? <laughs> um, in some ways, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm glad to see that some people, especially in retail, are still, um, you know, utilizing masks. Um, you know, like, I, I don't think a mask will ever be a 100%, you know, um, part of my wardrobe every single day for the rest of my life life but you know if i'm sick i'm gonna wear it you know just you know so i don't give it to somebody else or if i feel if there's also like other employees that are sick or customers that are sick maybe i have it then but you know right now i'm still uh recovering from what i had last week but you know thankfully it's not the covid no more um but but you had cool pop culture news i would just have that curiosity question 
Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, kind of a follow up, and this is kind of it. it I, I never thought I would see this day, but Vince McMahon retired from the WWE, and um, not just you know from like one thing. He is completely out. Um, as we talked on one of my solo shows, the reason for this is that uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, did a couple of stories, and word came out that. Vince McMahon was having a lot of dalliances with WWE female employees, and there were there was upwards of fourteen million dollars in non non disclosure agreements that were uh, bandied about over the years, and um, the SEC, uh, a federal government agency, is now investigating Vince McMahon um, for this. So. Um, it's like he's probably going to be looking at, you know, a severe fine or something like that. I don't think, you know, especially because he is a billionaire. The Apparently the $14 million uh, is the big problem here is that it was not factored into their financial statements, which, you know, publicly traded companies have to be able to account for every single, uh, you know, penny that, that comes in their door, obviously. So, um, you know, they, the WWE publicly has to come out and, you know, revive their financial statements from going back a few years and just now we have professional wrestling in the United States without Vince McMahon and that is weird in a lot of ways (laughs) because like you know like my entire life as a wrestling fan he has been there and now he's not going to be um you know f- from his actions good riddance but you know I, I, i'm also conflicted here too because this is this is not as easy as like a louis ck situation you know because uh, as we talked about before someone like a louis ck if the, if you know it if you don't like what he did, you don't have to see him, and it's not really going to affect many other people apart from Louis C.K., but when you have a creative endeavor like wrestling, like a movie or something like that, it's harder because, you know, if someone does screw up and does bad things, you're also – you, you would if you decided not to watch you're also affecting other people that have nothing to do with the negative things you know like yeah. you know not watching wrestling because Vince McMahon is a jackass you know is going to hurt you more more than it does uh him but it was just um weird it was just weird and and and, and he deserved it uh rightfully so um you know I, nobody is above the law or anything like that and it's not like he necessarily i mean well from what he may have but it he uh it's just it's just weird it's just weird yeah and then it's still something that you get to watch play out right because this person's been in the background i'm assuming Usually it seems that once these things start coming to the point of pressing charges or investigation that there was whisperings before. So oh, granted, yeah. this this is not my world. Um, uh, <laughs> so I, I can't claim to like, oh, yeah, that Vince McMahon motherfucker, like to the same level mm-hmm. of like, you know, Trump being a little bit more aware to people. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember a lot of his comments before he ran for presidency. Like, I remember not being a fan of him before he became like very relevant to everybody all at once. Um, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to probably watch that play out. Um, because you said that they're investigating him, right? 
The federal government is investigating the non-disclosure agreements and why they were not recorded um, because it it was treated as if it was a company expense, yet they didn't um, notate that. So there's that. And also there is news that um, Real Sports with Brian Gumbel on HBO has a story coming out um, within the next few weeks that's going to be pretty damning. And uh, the Wall Street Journal has some more stories and just – if if a legitimate news organization gets their hands on some of the stories that wrestling fans are very much aware of over the years, uh, who knows what can happen at that point? You know, I mean, it, yeah, it's it's it, the story it, as far as Vince goes is not necessarily over, but it is still just very much weird that his involvement with the WWE is done. That's you know. A shock. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess, I mean, it, it's not wrestling related, but there was something cool that came up that I wanted to throw out there that normally I'm not into any of this stuff. This is through the UFC. Um, before we get into our topic, I know that we're kind of going into some extra stuff more than we normally do, but hey, we've had kind of a fun week with news and we'd like to share with you guys. But I was actually sitting with the Mr. Reverend. He was getting a haircut before going out of town because, you know, it's hot keep it cool and stuff right mm -hmm. and this guy was actually playing this video from the ufc on his phone so that's the only reason that i even picked up that this speech happened but um i'm going to include a link and give it to tim so it can be shared either you know on our facebook or maybe in the show notes just because it's worth listening to but apparently a few days ago uh patty pimblett delivered a very powerful speech about men's mental health and suicide awareness which is of course what perked my ears because i wasn't expecting to hear that while sitting at a barber shop and looking over and seeing you know boxing gloves and, and dude shirtless dude blonde dude talking <laughs> but no it's like suicide awareness speech very randomly out in the wild but uh i guess he had just lost a friend um days before that night and gave this very surprising powerful speech about suicide and men's mental health so definitely look that up patty pimblett honestly if you google ufc suicide speech it is the first thing that will come up so if we totally botch it and don't include the link um go ahead go give that a listen very powerful good thing that i think it's a good message to spread and get out there yeah, you'd uh, uh, sent me a clip of that video, and I'd uh, seen uh, the speech uh, before as well. So definitely, definitely one um, we'll, we'll put in the show notes here. But yeah, let's uh, dig deep into part two of Taxing Churches. Part two of Tax and Churches. Let me get my notes up because, see, I goofed and moved there we go and move my uh, my mouse around. So I'm all fixed now. So yes, we're going to go ahead and take this in parts and continue on with the pros and cons. So this should be about, I think, a three-part episode unless for some reason we just decide to end it after this. But mm -hmm. I kind of like going through it instead of skipping around. So we're going to see how this format works. So picking up where we left off, um, pro and con number five are related. So I think I'm going to read them together and, and do it kind of that way when they're basically – up for interpretation, right? Like we, we kind of headed off the first episode of having that where it's like, oh, well, this means this or, oh, this doesn't mean this. And so that means it's up for conversation and debate. Um, this is one of those. So pro number five, 
a tax exemption for churches is not a subsidy to religion and is therefore constitutional. Um, as stated by U.S. Supreme Court Justice Warren E. Berger, my favorite little food name guy again, um, his majority opinion in Waltz versus Tax Commission of the City of New York, this is back in 1970, quote, the grant of a tax exemption is not sponsorship since the government does not transfer part of its revenue to churches, but simply abstains from demanding that the church support the state. No one has ever suggested that tax exemption has converted libraries, art galleries, or hospitals into arms of the state or put employees on the public payroll. There is no genuine nexus between tax exemption and establishment of government. And so that's, I guess, the, the top quote that supports this idea that you know a tax exemption is not a subsidy. However, mm -hmm. con number five, a tax exemption is a form of subsidy, and the Constitution bars government from subsidizing religion. Um, William H. Rehnquist, he was a then Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, declared on behalf of a unanimous court um, in Reagan versus taxation with representation, which was in 1983, quote, both tax exemptions and tax deductibility are a form of subsidy that is administered through the tax system. A tax exemption has much the same effect as a cash grant to the organization of the amount of tax it would have to pay on its own income. And what I like about this as an example, um, so Basically, Taxation with Representation of Washington, they go by TWR, they had sued the IRS after they were denied their tax-exempt status application, um, and that was because a substantial part of TWR's activities consisted as lobbying. So I think it's interesting to sit there and say, oh, well, you know, when it comes to lobbying, we're going to say that a tax deduction is basically a subsidy, but we're going to sit there and say that a tax deduction is not a subsidy when putting it up against religion. So I thought these two are really kind of cool to go against each other. But I guess the thing that really got me about this Rehnquist quote, um, but doesn't the church basically lobby? And that kind of led me into looking in, well, what is lobbying? Like, what do we actually consider lobbying? And I did find uh, some cool stuff through the National Conference of State Legislatures. It goes by NCSL for short. And it says states generally define lobbying as an attempt to influence government action through either written or oral communication. However, each state may have unique elements for what constitutes like legal lobbying, exceptions to the definitions and exceptions to those exceptions even. Um, however, the legal definition of states generally define lobbying as an attempt to influence government action through either written or oral communication. However, each state may have unique elements. Um, the NCSL actually made a chart. So if you're curious, like what is defined as lobbying in your state, you can actually find that. We'll include that one in the show notes for sure, because that's kind of interesting. Because that means a church can be violating things depending on what state it's in. Mm -hmm. So it also goes into, well, how much is this even being policed? Because there is, in looking into this stuff and trying to understand it, I learned about the Johnson Amendment, which is the provision in the U.S. tax code that's been around since the 50s. And that prohibits all 501c3s. So not just churches but actually all of them from endorsing or opposing political candidates. So it's it's like they've decided that you can't say, yes, go vote for Trump or no, don't vote for Biden. Like you can't be that direct. But I guess like the Johnson Amendment doesn't cover like, oh, you should vote for the Christian candidate, which I would say still falls under influencing government, right? Because that's almost like, 
lobbying under code. Like, I can't tell you to vote for the person who's, you know, I want you to vote for, but I can tell you to vote for the person who's obviously up on a stand preaching, you know, mentioning God in all of their speeches and openly talking about their Christian values, which is where I do question, like, that this is successful at all in separating the lobbying ability from the church when the candidate can stand up and help fill that gap, right? Because isn't it almost like underhanded, like like covert lobbying at that point, if you're saying vote for the Christians, but you're not saying a specific candidate, but that candidate says, I am the Christian candidate. Like, it's just funny how there's no block to that when it seems so direct to me. Um, but yeah, so there was actually a survey conducted during the presidential race in 2020, and that found that U.S. adults who had attended religious services in the month prior or watched services online said that they had heard services or sermons expressing support for either then-President Donald Trump, about 9%, or then-candidate Joe Biden, 6%, while others had heard sermons expressing opposition to Trump or Biden. And again, those are the things that are not supposed to be allowed, like, on that upper amendment and level, but it still happens. And it goes back to how do you police even lobbying? And even some of the bigger question on this being taxes is how are you going to police how they're spending the money if you're not doing any checking in at all? So it's kind of funny because I know we've talked about lobbying before and that that's a topic that I want to learn more about and understanding. Mm -hmm. And for me kind of putting together that the church is essentially lobbying for certain candidates in its own little covert way um, really goes to support why they should be taxed uh, because they're, they're not doing the thing. Like if they fall, if it's like anybody reports that they're doing this thing, they should lose their tax exempt status. What about those churches? that were directly violating that amendment. Like at what point do they actually say you don't have it anymore because you have violated this? Yeah. I mean, cause at that point then there would be accusations of it being done for political reasons. I mean, think about all of the um, like drives that you get during voting to where you'll have churches that um, will one, open up their spaces to allow voting to occur there, but two, they will, um, you know, set up uh, like, like if they know that there are certain members of their congregation that need to go out and vote, but like don't have a vehicle, they will, you know, set, they will uh, plan, you know, you know, trips to go get people to the polls and, and whatnot. And, you know, should religion be doing that? Yeah, yeah, especially when it goes back to a lot of their services, a lot of those carpools aren't like they're publicly announcing it everywhere. A lot of the times it's being announced in their church. So it goes back to in part one where we talked about that it's becoming more of a club than it Mm -hmm. is a social good. Like they do really great at advertising stuff internally. So all that to say, I wanted to go into lobbying because it honestly kind of, it took me aback a little because yeah, I, I obviously lean a little bit more towards churches should be taxed or at the very least have to file like many other nonprofits. I I kind of like it, it got my, my uh, skepticals put up when I realized they were quoting something that was meant towards lobbying because yeah, lobbying is not the same as, as like a church, so to speak, right? Like we do agree that lobbyists shouldn't be a tax exempt entity, but you know the this, the discussion here is about churches. But if a church is acting as a lobbying entity, 
that church should not have that tax-free status is I guess what I wanted to kind of, I, I saw where it was related, but even I wanted to dig into it more to be like, why are we using an argument from a case about lobbying for the church? But it does make sense when you realize the church does in effect lobby and it does kind of seem to have this even more covert way of lobbying that's not directly saying yes, vote for Trump or yes, vote for Biden or no, don't vote for the specific person. Well, also, too, when it comes to lobbying, I think the problem comes down to when you have groups like the NRA, for instance, that are great at lobbying, but have so much unchecked power that, you know, they, they end up causing a lot more problems than uh, they ultimately solve. Yeah. Um you know, and I, 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 I think organizations, uh, large and small, should have the ability to, you know, um, I mean, I don't think lobbying in and of itself is necessarily a bad thing. You know, I think if they have the ability to go to a politician and say, hey, we think that if you did this for us, there will be positives, uh, you know, for our church and for our community, that in and of itself is not a bad thing. But as we've seen in this country over and over again, again, um, the more powerful the lobbying organization, the less likely um, politicians will um, hold hold them with a sense of scrutiny you know it's just they 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 will just think hey here's this you know mega church here lobbying for something i'm gonna give them what they want because they donate really good money yeah and i'm not saying like all lobbying is bad because i'm sure there's some really good uses of it i know there are good organizations out there and but, we don't want to do absolutes too i mean right we, we and absolutes exactly but when you see stuff like kind of the gun lobbying that goes on some of the stuff with even some of the weird stuff like with milk like dairy lobby that's real and meat and how much they influence like some of the stuff that gets released like on dietary standards like those are the things that more bother me than necessarily a religious group coming together and having a lobby saying yes we would like some of our views mm-hmm expressed in law. Now, I do believe that that's something that they should be allowed to do, like a lobbying group. Now, that lobbying group cannot then be tax exempt. Mm-hmm. And if a church is funding that particular lobbying group, I would say that there should be a part of their financial stuff. Anything that goes towards that should not be tax exempt. But it goes back to see churches would be able to actually do it the right way, so to speak, if they did have to file paperwork and file taxes and mm-hmm. have that di- that distinct difference of not all of our actions are tax exempt. And then they could easily support the way that anybody else can, the way that beef, that dairy, that oil, that they're allowed to. Mm-hmm. So they could still be represented in a way that's not a blanket tax exemption for the entirety of it. Indeed. Indeed. Um, did you have any more thoughts on this one? No, on ProCon 5, that was it. It, it just goes back to uh, they're saying it is a subsidy to religion, and then they also say it is not a subsidy to religion. The main argument about it not being a subsidy was something used in a lobbying discussion, which I think I kind of, like I said, I kind of see where that's related. Um, it, Yeah, but don't be ever afraid to like dig into something like that, right? Like, of course, it made me ping and I still come out of it going, oh, okay. I kind of wish they had been a little bit more clear in their summary that, you know, that had nothing to do with religion and was about lobbying. But I I guess, you know, not all of them will be be big blocks of paragraphs like I enjoy. (laughs) Yeah, 
Yeah. Thanks, people. Anyway. <laughs> but that's why, right? It's it's important to do your own research. Get curious and dig in because it's not going to include everything. Oh, indeed. I mean, this is simply a starting off point. And, you know, that's the beauty of it. But let's go on to pro and con number six here. Uh, the pro uh, states poor and disadvantaged people relying on assistance from their local churches would suffer if churches were to lose their tax exempt status. According to Vincent Becker, Monsignor of the Immaculate Conception Church in Wellsville, New York, the food and clothing programs his church offers would be threatened by a tax burden. All of a sudden we would be hit with something we haven't had to face in the past. We base all the things that we do on the fact that we do not have to pay taxes on the buildings. Crucial services would either be eliminated or relegated to cash-strapped local governments if churches were to lose their tax exemptions. And fair point, I guess. I mean, if, if uh, you know, the tax exempt were just completely wiped off the board for all religious organizations with a snap of a finger, I think there definitely would be problems. And that would lead to... F- Things that should not happen. So, uh, you know, they have a point. I I think they have a point here. Yeah, I think that was a a very fair point because they've been tax exempt for so long. And it goes back to, you know, like the church that the Mr. Reverend's mother works at. I'm sure if they suddenly had any tax burden, any on their church, that that would make a huge negative difference for them. And that is unfortunate. Fortunate, Like that's something that it, it goes back to. We can't always keep every business open. Mm-hmm. Um, you would like to think, though, that if things changed, just throwing it out there, that hopefully of their own flock where they could give more that they do to help offset some of that. Because I don't know, it goes back to if I'm supporting a, a group at all, like even if it's not religious, say the Humanist Society. I used to go to the Humanist Society a lot, right? Now, mm. they, I believe, may have been a nonprofit, but for the sake of this, like, let's play pretend, we're going to pretend they were a nonprofit. Now, if they had announced to us as the body of humans who liked going there and hearing the science speeches and the cool cafe style talks, and we know that they're going to have more financial burden, well, if I have an extra dollar that day to donate, I'm going to donate that extra dollar. And try to keep the thing that I personally feel I gain from, like, around. It it even goes back to I haven't eaten – like, I'll still get Wendy's every now and then because I'm just a sucker for a Wendy's bacon cheeseburger. Like, like whenever I'm, like, in a really bad mood. Normally when the Mr. Reverend leaves town and I'm having a pout, you know what I mean? But, like, (laughs) other than that, I have totally stopped even drive-through breakfasts which was like the one thing I used to kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's mostly eggs and some kind of cheese and shit. Like it's not the worst thing and it's quick. Um, But I've completely cut that out because I would rather give my money to the smaller businesses Mm -hmm. and, you know, get a burger at the local burger joint than getting it at Wendy's or, you know, getting breakfast at the, the, my favorite little coffee stop that has like some little petite sandwiches, you know, it's not going to be a sausage, egg and cheese thing, but it'll be good. But you know, you make those choices when you want to support things. So I think it's kind of, while it is a valid point, I don't think it's giving enough credit to their own community to come together and help with this transition period, especially when it might be good overall. Um, I think mostly where I'm processing a lot of this is the number one benefit the church could get 
if the church just went, okay, yes, we, we will file like every other nonprofit has to file. Um, I think it would go a lot to earning some trust back, right? Like there's a lot of distrust in the church. May it be because of, you know, some of the, the sexual misconduct things and financial and granted, no, it's not every one of them, but the problem is, is that once you've had that dent made in how people view you, it's very hard to earn it back. So if this is something that churches could do as a whole to be like, okay, community, we hear you. We need to show that we are trustworthy. You guys do deserve that much. We will file. We will Mm -hmm. willingly file. We will, we will take account for everything that we give, like for our our shelters and stuff like that. That way we're still having a tax benefit to provide those things. And it still incentivizes to provide more of those things, right? Because it's like, say, and I, I obviously I'm not saying that that church isn't giving everything they can, but say that they're not, and that could incentivize them to like expand their pantry for feeding the homeless. Or it's like, Hey, we need to be able to give out more. So we can't just, advertise internally we have to advertise externally to have more people come to this so that it is supported you know those are honestly ways i could see it being a benefit for them to to move towards this i don't think it would be all doom and gloom i guess is what i'm saying yeah i mean not every church is of the mega church variety not every you know religious organization has a fleet of planes (laughs) you know um and you know what? If those mega churches wanted to be soups cool, since they would probably transition fine to this, why not let them donate to smaller churches, and then they can write off those cash donations? <gasps> Did I accidentally fix it? Oh man, it would be so great if they just gave to each other instead of seeing each other as competition, right? Right? Anyway, I just think yeah. that's funny. I don't know. I just like realized, like, wait a second. If they could donate to other nonprofits, they could donate to each other. Like the bigger churches, like that would actually be like trickle down economics almost applied um, to churches. <laughs> and we know how well uh, we know well, how well trickle is, down economics. But works. you have to make them do it. That's the problem. Is trickle down economics apparently only works if you make them do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 human nature to want to hoard, and you know you, you know if you're rich, you're just going to want to get more money, and you know you're going to. Even if it's for an organization, you're going to want the, all that money for your organization, you know. And, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. A lot of great arguments here. Let's go on to the con here. Um, con is the tax code makes no distinction between authentic religions and fraudulent startup faiths, which benefit at taxpayers' expense. In spring 2010, Oklahoma awarded tax-exempt status to Satanist group, the Church of the Four Majesties. In March 2004, the IRS warned of an increase in schemes that exploit legitimate laws to establish sham one-person, non-profit religious corporations charging $1,000 or more per person to attend seminars. The Church of Scientology, which Time Magazine described in May 1991 as a thriving cult of greed and power and a hugely profitable global racket, was granted federal income tax exemption on October 19, in October 1993. The New York Times reported that this saved the church tens of millions of dollars in taxes. And So you have the abuse of it, right? Like this is obviously pointing out the abuse end of it. <laughs> 
But at what point, though? I mean, because like if we are talking about like um, like I mean, you said you've done it before. I know I've done it before. Um, gone to uh, gone to like those websites to become an ordained minister on your own. Obviously, obviously, Reverend Tracy. Ha ha ha. That was yeah. actually where that came from, right? I got a letter saying, "Dear the Reverend or to the Reverend Tracy," and I I decided I love that name so much I need to use that somewhere. So that's <laughs> where it came from was becoming an ordained minister. But yeah. I- yeah, the problem. I mean, it, the problem would be that if you were able to suddenly become a tax exempt, you know, just just by you know signing that letter to become the Reverend Tracy, you know. Um, so on the one hand, yeah, I I do think that uh, an organization should show that you know they have a history, they have you know an organization that is actually helping people, um, you know, ideally. And I know last week we talked about you know the scientologists when they when they got their tax exempt status it was not done with the most legal of ways either you know um which is not to knock the people that you know still want still want to believe that if you want to believe that great that's what america's for i have no problem with that but you know i there should be some process that people have to go through in order to obtain this tax exempt status. However, if they are able to show that they are, you know, a legit organization that is helping people out, the government should not be, you know, saying, you know, just because you don't follow the Holy Bible, you know, you're not going to get this tax exempt status, you know? So it's the, People need to look to make sure that it is not a situation to where you have someone intentionally trying to game the system. And if that is not the case, then peop- then it shouldn't matter whether it's it's a kooky belief or not. You know, as long as they're not sacrificing young children, maybe give them that status if they can prove that they are legit. Well, and it even goes back to why is this status even necessary? If we can just go back to where they have to file, there there would be no abuse. There would be no saving tens of millions of dollars in taxes when zero millions of dollars of that went towards anything to benefit the community, which again was some of the stuff that we read before that was the original reason behind this was that the church was providing stuff to the greater community to save the government from having to. But now over the years that has changed. And now over the years, it's like, Oh, well we can just say that we're doing this, you know, in the cases I think of the Scientology church, I can't speak for sure, but I I haven't seen any shelters or pantries being ran by a church of Scientology. Mm. Um, I I haven't, I I can't say they don't exist. I'm just saying I haven't seen them. Um, But something tells me that they didn't take that tens of millions of dollars and prove or, or otherwise even come close to using that to the community benefit which was kind of the spirit behind the tax exempt status of churches was that they gave so much, maybe saved them the chore of having to track it. But now that you have so much stuff that does it like Mm -hmm. automatically, it almost seems like with a little bit of help. And again, like by all means, let the church file for some kind of thing where they get like a, a subsidy for tax help from a tax pro. Right. So all they have to do is like, yep, here's our our profile for all of the stuff that we spent and then just let somebody else handle it. By all means, cover their two hundred dollars or whatever the fuck the tax bill would be from H&R Block. Right. Like I would actually be okay with that, with them getting free tax service over not being taxed 
for having this tax-free status because it just seems like it's being abused. And I'm tired of good churches taking a bad rap and not getting funding for stuff that they legitimately do that is good and it getting harder because of churches that are like kind of pulling stunts like this. It would definitely level the playing field um, and, you know, keep, keep churches honest. You know, it's like, I, I think that's what I have the problem with, 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 with the current system uh, when it comes to religion and taxes. You know, the fact that, you know, they don't really have to show where the money's going. And, you know, to your point, yeah, it does a huge disservice to religious organizations that are doing right by people. You know, when you have organizations that are coming out and taking advantage of the system. You know, I, I did love in the con, though, about Scientology when they called it a sham religion when um you know they don't really do stuff that far out of the whack that other organizations do you know they're just a little more upfront that they charge people you know? <laughs> <laughs> just, just a little bit more upfront that they charge people <laughs> yeah you know i mean it, but even then like look what I, i've seen in other churches you know where you have the, you know people that give the most in the offering plate are all of a sudden considered the best people in that religious organization but um, you know, ultimately, I, I think, yeah, I mean, more and more, it's like the more we talk about this, the more transparency, I, I think, would would help a lot of people out. And that's that's we're not seeing that. And and that I, that I think is the big shame here. Right. And I, I think it goes back to I think if the church really wants to repair its relationship with our American culture, one of the biggest things it could do is yeah, like <laughs> it, it, it's just be more transparent about where the money is going, mm-hmm. because unfortunately, money is important. As much as we want to say, you know, oh, it's not important, and it's so funny. Like, there's a, a an interesting trend in the church, and I've discussed this some with my the reverend's mom or the my my mother in law basically the reverend's mother in law, because mm-hmm. you know I have intense conversations with everybody in my life. That's why sometimes people think I'm too much. But you know we've talked a bit about like some of the interesting narrative in the church around money, and like even some of the give unto Caesar what is Caesar's conversation that we brought up, and like um you know that it actually does bother her when pastors will kind of like sometimes passively clout about, you know, money that they have. Like one was seriously talking about like an investment that he had made and that he had like lost thousands of dollars. And I'm like, but wait a second, like most of your people in the audience don't even have that thousands to lose. So basically it's an interesting narrative in the church that if you do well, if you are a good Christian, you will be blessed financially. And so it's like a weird thing, right? Because it's it, it's an odd like thing to have somebody that you know their income comes from your donations going in there. Possibly some subsidies, because we kind of talked about that before, but I guess you have to apply for those subsidies. So those aren't just blanketly like given to churches, by the way. That was something that I did learn in the background between our two episodes here. But like it's odd because there's that, but then there's also like it supports that narrative of he is so godly that he does well enough. To have the ability. So there's this, this, just this weird concept that, you know, <laughs> you having money is a sign that you're good by God. And then that's an interesting conflict when you having money can also be a sign that you are taking advantage of your flock. So there's no check and balance for that. 
Um, and it would be yeah. nice. Like I would rather find the churches that aren't doing good with that by the money so that then they have to close so that, that flock can then go find like a legitimate church and then they can put their money into that church that is doing things like helping feed the homeless helping shelter them that awesome little you know stepping stone house situation that i mentioned that was being ran by a church like maybe those could be more prevalent if we did have the ability to kind of weed out the not so great churches yeah, I mean, the prosperity gospel, um, I, I think that's what you're talking about there. Um, that's a lot of Christian organizations in this country, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them do kind of believe in that, which makes no sense. But it also reminded me of a, a pastor at the old Presbyterian church I went to back in Grand Rapids. You know, he talked about when he first moved there uh, with his family, you know, um, he, he moved into a nice, modest home Yet the elders of that church told him he had to get uh, a, a different home, and he was like, "Why?" And he they told him, you know, with your congregation, you have judges, you have doctors, you have lawyers in your congregation. You need a house that's just like theirs, and and just I, you know, that that stuck with me with how wrong that was. You know, and, and, you know, I mean, that, that, that particular church was, was a unique place anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's weird. It's weird. What is the next pro and con here? So the next pro and con is a funny one too. Um, <laughs> so they don't directly relate, so I can actually break them down as a pro and a con separately. But pro number seven, U.S. churches have been tax exempt for over 200 years, yet there are no signs that America has become a theocracy. <laughs> If the tax exemption were a serious threat to the separation of church and state, the U.S. government would have succumbed to religious rule long ago. As the Supreme Court ruled in Waltz versus Tax Commission of the City of New York in 1970, quote, freedom from taxation for two centuries has not led to an established church or religion and on the contrary has helped to guarantee the free access to all forms of religious belief. Uh, 2016 called and it'd like to have a word. Um, there's also some interesting facts that I found on religion and government in the United States, according to the Pew Research Center, that I thought would kind of help point out some of the flaws in this one. And also, this goes back to, we, we said from the beginning, I'm not saying that they should have never been tax exempt. I'm just saying that at today's day and age, the current distrust level in the church and the ability to win them back, um, the technology that's available to make it easy to track what is being spent versus when these laws and rules and situations were set decades, hundreds of years ago even, like there's no need to keep it tax exempt. So to me, it's almost really easy to throw this out and say that this isn't really part of our conversation. But to give it that attention that it deserves, I wanted to point out where, yes, it is very obvious that we do have a lot of Christianity seeped into our politics. While the U.S. Constitution does not mention God, nearly all of the state constitutions reference either God or the divine. According to a 2017 analysis, God also appears in the Declaration of Independence, the Pledge of Allegiance, and on U.S. currency. Just a little side note, all of those like within the last 200 years. So even just directly going against, there's no signs that Christianity is influencing our government. It's like, well, here's a bunch of them that have totally happened since that 200-year mark. Right, the Declaration of Independence, all of those things were within 200 years ago. I know I'm not great at history, but yes. Um. 
<laughs> well, um, I mean, to be fair, though, I mean, theocracy is different than than you know what you are talking about here. I mean, it's not a, a religious specific uh, type of government. He, uh, but he said no signs. Having it on your currency, on your federal document, mm-hmm. I would say could technically be a sign that there is like some Christianity kind of intermixed with your government. Like that it goes towards that. That's the way I took it was I was looking for, wait, there's no signs. There's no signs that Christianity influences our government. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I, I, it's a semantic, but I wanted to pick on the, there's whole no signs of this thing. I was like, but there kind of are. And again, it goes into like the insurrection conversation. Um, how much political candidates like feel the need to represent what their religion is. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. There's even num- numerous articles that didn't make the cut for me to bring up that talks about how important it is influence wise for a presidential candidate to at least mention what their religion is. And I think that shows that it is like a very strong influence in our government culture. Um, one of the other things pulled from that Pew Research study is that, you know, just the fact that Congress has been overwhelmingly Christian and almost all of the U.S. presidents, including Joe Biden, have been Christian. Most presidents have been sworn in with a Bible. So again, signs here, not saying that we're full bore there, but signs that, you know, we're not really that separated from it. And it seems awfully more important than it should be for a narrative being that it shouldn't be setting our laws, right? But um, but yeah, they've sworn in on the Bible. They've traditionally sealed their oath of office with the phrase, so help me God. Um, roughly half of Americans feel it is either very or somewhat important for a president to have a strong religious belief, even if they're from different from their own. So that was kind of interesting. And then that was all according to surveys conducted back in February 2020. And just by the way, that's the same article that I found some of the stats um, uh, that talks about uh, oh, where they've seen sermons that talk about presidential candidate backing, specifically the lobbying stuff. Um, right. So that's all in that same Pew Research article if you guys decide to dig into that. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's little things that show – not necessarily that Christianity is a theocracy and that it's taken over, but it is interesting that there is kind of that peppering in that Christianity is very intermixed in our government, which I would say is an argument for a slippery slope to going more towards theocracy, but doesn't mean that it's doomed to. Just signs. Just, you know, be aware of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, In God We Trust, that was, I believe, started in 54, and we can thank, um, from my hometown, former President Gerald Ford for that. Yes. You know, and, um, the, I, the, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, having In God We Trust on your money, that's not going to, I mean, we've had it this far, and the United States is not a theocracy yet, so, um, you know, I, I, it. I have no problem with people, I guess, expressing their religious beliefs. But, you know, we also know, too, like I, 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 I forgot the congressman in question, but there was a congressman who uh, was Islamic and, you know, came and, you know, sw- swore on a Quran. And that ended up becoming a problem for some people, you know, and that. Yeah, I mean, in terms uh, like the Christian faith does have a bias in this country that other other religious faiths don't necessarily have. Yeah. And so just to look up, I just had to look up the definition of theocracy, a system of government in which priests rule in the name of God or a God. And it goes 
I go back to they're saying there's no signs of it in 200 years, but all of the things that we brought up where God and Christianity are being put into doctrine has been within the last 200 years. So I guess like I could see it being argued that if we continue to keep adding more things that that I think technically goes towards that theocracy, but also the way a lot of conservative politicians talk kind of reminds me of this right that they want things based so i don't know like now i feel kind of like interested in uh digging into are we technically a theocracy or not like just but i mean i guess we can't be entirely because no we don't have like just the religious like people like voting and stuff so it's not completely to that but it's just kind of an interesting thing to dig into as a side note on this Yeah, I mean, I don't know if we would necessarily go down that route because, I mean, one thing that the conservative Christians in this country have done uh, in terms of how they've organized themselves as a political bloc, they've – Instead of um, coming out and saying, we represent the Methodists, we represent this, we represent that, they just use the blanket term Christian. And a lot of times people aren't questioning what specific Christian beliefs these people are having. Because, again, you know, you could have a Presbyterian, you could have a Methodist, but then you can also have someone like a, a, well, Sarah Palin, I guess, had it went to a church in um, uh, Alaska to where, like, they would put, like, poisonous snakes on you. <laughs> And do you want a politician who like is cool with that? I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry. You know, it's it's it, 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 yeah. So it's it's kind of messed up. But go ahead. Yeah, and then at con number seven, which I actually felt more related to the public good conversation that we had. I think it was pro and con number three pretty sure but from the first part of this churches have uh or churches serve a religious purpose that does not aid the government so tax exemptions are not justified tax exemptions to secular nonprofits like hospitals and homeless shelters are justified because such organizations do work that would otherwise fall to the government churches while they may undertake charitable work exist primarily for religious worship and instruction which the u.s government is constitutionally prevented from performing You know, so it goes back to the public goods argument, right? It used to be that it was assumed that churches gave so much to the poor and gave so much to the homeless and the hungry that that's where a lot of their money went. But it goes kind of back to that churches have become more of an internal club than a community service. And as long as that is the case. So really, I feel like this one kind of already got covered. I don't need to go into it any further. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think they're providing the services they used to. And then it also goes back to I don't believe it is the burden to prove what you spent on certain things that it used to be. And so now that we have the technology to make it less of a burden, I would rather give churches the ability to file their expenses than give them quote unquote the free ride which was the other thing that we kind of covered in part one a little bit right like where churches can take technically and and get all of these advantage but don't necessarily pay back into it the way that the implied agreement was before was that they paid into it by constantly giving to the community so yeah um That's just kind of the sum up, I think, of con seven, unless you had anything more to add on the whole. Are they providing a public good anymore? Because that's what I think this is more related to. And I just don't think they do. Well, I mean, I think it does boil down to, you know, what we talked about before. I mean, the transparency is not there. And if we did have more of the transparency, then maybe this would be less of an issue, you know, if we knew where 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 the money was going, Um, because I, I. 
have no problem with a legitimate religious organization, whether it's a belief I may believe or not, that is actually truly helping people. If they are truly helping people in their community, then me as an atheist, I'm going to let them do their thing and, and still support that, you know, but I, I do think it more and more it is becoming clear that we don't have a, a system in place to make sure that you know people aren't abusing this and if there was just something in and even if it is something as simple as just you know filling out an extra tax form to know where the money's going if that allows people to see where the money's going to see that you know the good things are actually happening here then i'm i'm, I'm not going to have a problem i don't know about you but i know i wouldn't yeah, and and maybe instead of nonprofit organizations, meaning you know, when if, if you file for nonprofit status, maybe instead of meaning that that gets you an ability to not file taxes or not have to do the form and not be subject to things like audits, maybe that means that when you do get pulled for an audit, you basically have like audit coverage through your nonprofit status. You know what I mean? That way, it's not really giving a burden to a nonprofit company that. Or nonprofit, anything, business, company, um, establishment, uh, it, it's not putting the burden on them to prove that they're using money to run like a homeless shelter. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. yes, should they be subject to the same kind of likelihood of being audited as any other nonprofit or any other business? I do believe so. Should that be a burden to them? No. I do not believe it should be an additional burden to them. Um, because especially if they are, you know, using like say they, you know, because if you apply for a nonprofit status, right, you would have to be doing stuff that warrants that status. And maybe that would be more drilled into are you providing housing for homeless people? And that could be something that gets considered into a portion of your property tax, like not being taxed. Like, I think there's just better ways to do it. Yeah, than just the blanket, not having any of it. Yeah, I mean, because that's working so well now. <laughs> All right, let's go into the, uh, the last pro and con for this week here. Uh, the pro taxing churches when their members receive no monetary gain would amount to double taxation. The late Reverend Dean M. Kelly, a leading proponent of religious freedom, explained that church members are already taxed on their individual incomes, so to tax them again for participation in voluntary organizations from which they derive no monetary gain would be double taxation indeed, and would effectively serve to discourage them from devoting time, money, and energy to organizations which contribute to the upbuilding of the fabric of democracy and... The, the people in the pews aren't the ones getting taxed. It is the organization itself. And yet, oh, go ahead. I, well, real quick, he's not, okay, he's, he's right, but he's wrong at the same time. But let me lay this out for you. He's right as long as that person is not tracking and then writing off their donations as tax exempt. He is right. He's wrong under the sense that they do have that ability to do that. So technically, that's not I, I would say that that would take it away from double taxation. Right. Because mm -hmm. it would be it, it, it technically is double taxing in that sense. But yeah, it, it's interesting. But but there's ways around that, I guess, because when I read this the first, I was like, wait a second. But that's assuming that they're not writing it off. But we do have the ability to write off donations to nonprofits. Yeah, I mean, th that's always been there. I mean, we, you know, if I donate 20 bucks to the Humane Society, 
I, you know, I, you know, if I did it enough, I could e- easily bring those uh, receipts to uh, my tax person and, and, you know, get that as you have mentioned before, you know, so it's, uh, yeah. And, and so I, really, I, yeah, that person's already being double taxed. The church is just like not wanting to pay their tax portion of it, but yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's not double taxing just because they gave it to you and then you'd be taxed for it too. Like <laughs> that's not how double taxing works. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, this pastor is essentially tr- trying to cl- do like a Jedi mind trick, I guess he's trying to say you shouldn't tax a church organization because it could affect the little people. And the little people in this case have nothing to do with what is really being asked here uh, in terms of uh, a, a religious group, you know, paying property taxes, for instance, or, you know, how, you know, how does even though those property taxes would probably be collected from tithe and whatnot, again, if the person, you know, putting the money in the tithe box is doing their job right, they can still get that taken off their taxes. So it's it's much ado about nothing, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I thought that one was pretty weak. Um, yeah. Because that's like saying, <laughs> when I spend my money at a store, because I paid income tax on it, it would be double taxing for them to be taxed on it. Like that's where it's like, this one really kind of didn't make sense to me. I I'd be open to trying to read a little bit more about it, but at the same time, I just didn't really want to devote any energy to it. Cause yeah, it it did. It just kind of seemed like a silly argument to me. And uh, the best thing that he could be talking about is the fact that, you know, some people might not be filing their taxes um, for their donations. Cause that would be theirs to file anyway. Mm-hmm. Like they donated to a nonprofit. It is up to them to to file that tax, but that is an income to that church. And then it would be that church's job to say, well, X amount of that donation went towards these programs. So see, it's still taking like they should have their whole income accounted for and then just reduce what they're spending on things that actually are tax exempt activities. Mm-hmm. Instead, they're saying like, nope, we should just have it with, with no tax, no matter what we decide to spend it on in the end. And that's yeah. not the same as double taxation anyway. So <laughs> those wacky people. All right, let's get the last con here. Exempting churches from taxation costs the government billions of dollars in lost revenue, which it cannot afford, especially in tough economic times. According to former White House senior policy analyst Jeff Schweitzer, Ph.D., U.S. churches own 300 to 500 billion dollars in untaxed property. New York's nonpartisan independent budget office determined in July 2011 that New York City alone loses 627 million dollars in property tax revenue. Lakewood Church, a megachurch in Houston, Texas, earns $75 million in annual untaxed revenue, and the Church of Scientology's annual income exceeds $500 million. And, I mean, I, I, we've touched upon this somewhat. I, you know, again, if... Uh, you know, if these organizations can show that they are doing something for the public, like even Scientology, they have a couple, like uh, they have a couple of uh, specific charities to help against uh, like drug abuse uh, and whatnot. Um, so they do have a public service now as to how effective those those treatments are. Uh, like, I'm not the person to ask that. But, you know, I do know that they do have some public service stuff that they do offer people. It's just, um, 
uh, it, this sounds like too much of the extreme. This sounds like this sounds like someone who doesn't care about uh, what church the positive that churches can do. Just thinking about all of the uh, of the revenue that they could potentially be getting here. And I don't think, you know, in my lifetime, we're never going to get to a point where, you know, the United States will will drop the tax exempt status for religious organizations. So, you know, kind of having that talk about all the money we're missing out on is pointless because, you know, it's we're not going to get to a point to where we're talking about that. But as we've been saying, I think the important thing here is, you know, if, if there was more transparency with these religious organizations as to where the money is going, I think more average people would have less of an issue with, with the church. Right. Like it goes back to, well, if they're getting over $500 million in, where is the outgoing? And I don't think it's really that big of an ask anymore to ask where those outs go. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially when it's that much. Like, even if uh, you, there's a weird exemption, like if it's less, like if you just only track your incomes and if it's under X thousands of dollars a year, just like with us, right? We have that ability that if I earn less than however much, I think it's like, what, it's like 5,000 or something. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's really low. But if you earn under a certain amount, you don't have to continue filing your taxes anymore. They go, you're done. Or anything you did pay in, you get all of it back. Mm-hmm. So it could very well be the same thing so that small churches like that one that says if they did abruptly get taxes, like maybe that would be a way to tiptoe into it as well. If we didn't want to rely on the mega churches actually trickling down, we could also provide some stipulations that does make them exempt. If they're only getting X number of dollars in in money, well, by all means, give them a tax exempt status that year and let them see if they can figure their stuff out. It goes back to I'm not sure it should be subsidized if it starts to fail, but, you know, if a year of because they didn't get a lot of in, but they want to reestablish and do some stuff and maybe they find more ways for outreach because of that pressure. So they do more. Let's do a food drive and potluck so that we can then do this other food pantry thing, which would give us more of a tax benefit when we make more next year. Like, I don't know. It seems like they want this interesting that they they want certain benefits like a business and even in a lot of ways to be ran like a business. Like churches very often do have administrative assistants now that deal with things. So it just doesn't seem like a far reach to just go ahead and have them file a form. Make it as easy as you want to make it. I, I wouldn't make it more difficult, right? Especially because if you're going to have the assumption that they are doing uh, good for you know the general public that takes away from the government need to supplement certain things. By all means, I don't want to make it harder on those people, right? I, I don't want to make it harder on the bad apples when it doesn't really take that much to, or sorry, harder on good apples when it doesn't take that much to weed out the bad apples. Because yeah, over a certain amount, you're going to have to fill out more paperwork. Under a certain amount, maybe you get the full exempt, you know, your property taxes or whatever. Um, And even then, if you are like paying in like how an average American does, you would then get that money back. So it just kind of depends on how that works, right? Yeah. And and 
the important thing here is to find something that's that's not going to punish the average citizen because the average citizen is the one that you know if if their cupboards are a little bare and they don't have any extra money they're the ones going to the church to go, go to the food bank and i don't want to put those people in a situation to where they're scrambling to uh get food just because you know somebody wanted to be super hardcore and say we shouldn't support religious organizations in any way shape or forming, you know, and they need to be taxed, blah, blah, blah. You know, we have there. It is ignorant to deny the fact that religious organizations help people. Right. What we need to do is find a way that allows there to be some transparency to, so we can see if, so we can see which of these organizations are actually doing good and which ones are not so much, you know, that way. That way, the ones that are that are abusing the system, that are you know have the fleet of planes, that have the fleet of Rolexes that they wear for for their ministers, then maybe we can you know single those people out. So so we can say, hey, look, this church that we're taking their tax exempt status for, it's because they love to they wanted to buy a theme park. Did Jesus say get a theme park? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like if you think about it. <sighs> It goes back to people will donate to good causes, even if they don't necessarily agree with the religion behind it. Look at any of the saint, insert blank, Catholic, like (laughs) medical organizations out there. There are so many people who will donate to like St. Mary, St. Vincent's, like whatever. There's the big hospitals. You guys know what I'm talking about because they do like, oh, this one does a lot of cancer research. Like it would be nice if there was a way that we could tell what churches did what things because, oh, yeah, if anybody ran like that, that, you know, step out of homelessness program, I don't care what religion they are. I would support it because that is a public good. We have I mean, I I can't name a state that's not talking about their houseless demographic going up right now. And I think that is also a sign that there is not enough help. So we should be incentivizing more help no matter what that looks like. Like, how great would it be if this opened the conversation to be like, wait, other businesses can also have a pantry. Other businesses can also have like one night a week where they run a soup kitchen. Let everybody see where they can get tax exemptions, where they can by providing stuff to the public good, right? Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't it be cool if this had a weird ripple effect of realization, like, wait, the churches are still getting their tax exempts, but it's because they're having to file everything they're doing, but we can do those things too. So then you get more people helping with that pat on the back of they get some extra, some bonuses for their tax exemption. You know what I mean? And that yeah. even lets you know, like, maybe it should be that the, the tax exempt doesn't just cover what was spent on that one thing. Maybe it should be a little bit over incentivized when they are giving money like that for a public good. Indeed, indeed. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not looking to harm people that aren't abusing the system. You know, and it doesn't matter whether I agree with their religious beliefs or not. If if there is a religious group that is helping the community, then by all means, we should continue to support it. But again, um, we said it before, I'll say it again. We just need some transparency. Yeah. And some standards. I, I think we need some standards on this at this point and to recognize that having them fill out forms is not the huge burden that it would have been when it was first established that churches were going to be tax free. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, because we have this wonderful thing called computers. And well, I mean, and if you've got their bank, you can hook up, like, look at the Mint and other little third-party apps that if you give it permission to log into your account, it'll automatically sort things for you. So that turns into that admin person sitting there. And again, if you do things like run a pantry, I think the easiest thing you should get if you do it at all, and I mean any pantry, uh, any type of service that helps like that demographic of houselessness and hungry, I think you should get free services for taxes. Like I think that would be a very easy benefit that I don't think most Americans would have a problem with is, okay, then let's take that burden of them having to do that away from them and let them get to hire H&R Block at no cost to them. Like, Indeed. don't even make them pay up front. Let it be something that H&R Block, you know, they did a service for a nonprofit. Let them eat it. Like, there can be better ways to deal with this that's not putting a burden on small churches. Because I don't want to do that either. But definitely the mega churches, oh, yeah, they've got the the income. They've got the ability. They've got the people. Don't mm-hmm. tell me of flocks of, of, uh, of a congregation that makes $75 million dollars that not a single one of them can donate maybe an hour to submit their taxes online for them. Like, right? Like, I don't think it would take more than an hour. So let's pretend it takes two. Yeah, I mean, is the Catholic Church really going to say, oh, we don't got the people for that? I mean, they have their own freaking country in Vatican City. But but we'll pretend that they don't, and we'll let them get that free $200 tax thing too, right? Because we go back to its per form, so it just depends on what it is and what all you've done. But I I could totally see that being a way to work around that without making it a burden of the place it's trying to provide services, if they are genuinely strapped and providing services. Indeed, indeed. Well, I think that is going to wrap it up for us this week here. I think we had a really good conversation. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm excited to go into the last ones. I'm enjoying the format and kind of giving all of the top pros and cons their moment in the spotlight and just kind of getting to react to them. It's, it's been super fun. <laughs> it really has. I mean, because I... I I I, th- I know with this topic, I don't think I've really thought about the pros and cons as much before. I mean, I, I've had opinions, but, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. <laughs> <laughs> and you better wipe it. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's yeah. something there about, you know, watching your shit or something. <laughs> something. On that note, <laughs> did you have anything else you wanted to say? Um. No, I really don't. I, I don't have anything today. I think I'm going to uh, get on my merry way and head to my downtown office job and catch Pokemon on the bus because I'm bussing it for another week or two at least. Nice, nice. Me, I got um, five uh, young ladies outside in the chicken coop right now. I need to let outside. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that got, sounds creepy. You got to be careful. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I call them ladies, but they are chickens, folks. No, yeah, it's not, uh, you know, it puts the lotion on its skin moment. It's not. <laughs> Don't talk about ladies, uh, keeping ladies in a cage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like, with, yeah. With my dating, I couldn't even get them in the cage, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> There's too many Netflix documentaries, Tim. Just just don't be a Netflix documentary I read about one day. It's like, I knew that guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was so quiet. I didn't think what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> we used to barbecue every day with that guy. I forget yeah. that one. That was the one where um uh, he had said something about like uh, uh, there was this girl, and I think there were a few girls being kept in this house. 
And he had said he knew something was wrong because a skinny white girl come running into a black man's arms or something like that. Like it kind of got like made into an auto tuned thing. I might have to find it. But yeah, don't be that person. Don't be the person keeping hostages in their house. Uh, Just saying. (laughs) Yeah, no, I no, I I, that's where I draw the line. Hostages, (laughs) hostages, you know, unless there's consent, you know, consent culture. Some people are into that shit. I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've met a lot of weird people in Portland. Let's put it that way. (laughs) Including me. And on that awkward tail end of a note, we should probably (laughs) just stop the podcast. I apparently need more coffee, maybe a micro nap on the bus. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I, I think I need some caffeine myself, too. And then I got because I have to be up for my guitar class here in a couple of hours. But um, but we're almost to the five year anniversary of this show. Yay. (laughs) Round of applause. Yes, August 23rd, 2017 was the very first release of uh, Friends Talking Nerdy, and um, I hope we can do something a little fun here. I think I'm going to buy a cake, a birthday cake or something like that. Maybe I'll get some donuts, and I'll just have my local, because potato donuts are like a thing here, so maybe I'll just have like some potato donuts. I'm going to have to try one one day. <laughs> well, hopefully you will. You'll have to come up and visit at least at some point, I think. So, but uh, yeah, well, have a good rest of your day, folks. Thanks for listening to us. And we will be back with part three, finishing up the very final of these pros and cons on our next episode. Indeed. Every Saturday in this podcast space, we will have something to entertain your ear holes. Until we meet again, we bid you adieu. Have a great day, folks. Have a blessed week. Have a blessed day. <laughs> Subscribe to Friends Talking Nerdy on iTunes, the Google Play Music Store, as well as Spotify. Remember to support Friends Talking Nerdy on Patreon. Goodbye, darling. <laughs>